welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Coming up next on the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. Everything we built here, the, the golf course, the quiet corner, the baseball field, the Thrive Stations are built specifically for a PT to sit on one side and the person in a wheelchair or some kind of you know, device can sit on the other side and be looking at each other face to face. Today on the show, we're talking all about inclusive playgrounds and recreation with Christian Kane, the man who put together Field of Dreams in Toms River, New Jersey. Christian told me all about how he built a multi-acre park to provide playground space, fields, and different interactive areas so that people of all abilities could come together and play together. This is a must listen for anyone who is interested in bringing this type of space or environment to their own community, and I learned so much about this process from Christian. So let's dive right in. Welcome back to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. I'm here today with Christian Kane, who helped bring the Field of Dreams Park in Toms River, New Jersey to life. So Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Katie, I really appreciate it. Can you tell us about, before we get into the logistics of the park and how it was developed and how it's going since it's opened, what was the inspiration for creating Field of Dreams? The inspiration really started on July 12th of 2012, which is crazy. It's almost 10 years to the day of the accident. Um, I'm a high school math teacher at Tom's North High School. And at the time, at around 9.30 on July 12th, my son Gavin and I were in our car and we were waiting to make a left-hand turn when a fully loaded beer truck hit us from behind. Gavin suffered a traumatic brain injury and a right front temporal stroke. And he went from, you know, your typical 19 month old to a point where most doctors had told us that, you know, you should find him a home. He won't you know, really amassed to anything. The nature of the injury was so severe. So to be thrown into this world of special needs, which, you know, my wife, Mary and I never knew about, we have six children and you get thrown into it immediately. It's kind of a shocking thing. And as Gavin got older, he actually is getting better. He's tough. <laughs> it's like his mom. And he actually wanted to try to walk and try to talk and go back to what he was. He remembered that. And when we had a birthday party for him at our house, we had built him, you know, like a little playground setting that was very similar to what we built here at the Field of Dreams. And he has nothing but typical friends. They wouldn't leave, Katie. They would not leave the birthday party. And my wife and I said, oh my gosh, are we going to have to do this like every day for him to play? So we started to bring him out to public parks. And that's when we were punched in the face in regards to what the definition of inclusion really is in regards to the public. Rubber flooring and a big red chair in the corner of the park, check off, check off, we've done our job. And that's basically what started our journey into you know, building this special needs complex. There's a lot of, I found in inclusion, people just thinking they have to check boxes and that'll be good enough, but definitely not the case. So before we talked like the logistics of the actual park, 
I know that was a long process for getting the park actually set up. And I was following the journey on your website where it started to finally come to fruition. So can you talk a little bit about the, the logistics of how it got started, why you picked the location that you did? I know you said you work in Tom's River, so the location makes sense. But how was that process? We had decided that we wanted to build a baseball field because we were traveling an hour and 15 minutes to go in South Jersey in a challenger league because it was on turf. And my wife and I were looking at each other like, we're in the Mecca of Little League Baseball here in Tom's River. How is there not a turf field for Challenger Baseball? They play on dirt. And if it rains the day before or two days before, well, guess what? Anyone in a wheelchair, you ain't playing Challenger Baseball that weekend. And that's where the idea started to come from. But we also knew we needed a playground and like a bathroom area. It was supposed to be, you know, $250,000, $300,000. We wanted a location in Tom's River. That's where we live. That's where, as you said before, that's where I work. And we picked a location that I pass every single day to go to work and go home. I also pass the accident site every single day, twice a day. And this kind of gives me a little, in my mind, just break because I do pass the accident twice a day. And it's nice to know that I do pass this complex twice a day. And it gives me a feeling that, you know, as tragic as this accident was, it's helping, I'm going to be honest with you, thousands of people in the Monmouth Ocean and Burlington County areas. We asked for property with the mayor in March of 2017. And without even hesitancy, the township and the mayor, Tom Keller, gave us the property. We started our journey to raise $250,000. But along our journey, when I started to do talks, I started to do podcasts like this and other interviews, and I started to meet people, I realized that I wasn't just talking to people who are six years old, like my son Gavin was. I was talking to people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Military men who suffered traumatic brain injury, grandparents who suffered strokes, people who have autism in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And I was like, we got a problem here because what we are building isn't enough for those people. And it had to be a complex that was going to be for everybody, regardless of your age and regardless of your ability. So... It went from 250000 to $3.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to be because you had to build it once because you knew you can't keep adding on besides the three things I had talked about. We included, you know, bocce in the basketball court, a walking path, a pavilion, community gardens, an autistic quiet corner, a nine-hole miniature golf course, thrive stations, a dog service area. We really expanded it because we were listening to our special needs community and what they really were needing. And, you know, we took on that responsibility. It's really great to see how it kind of expanded to include people of all different ages and abilities. And you had mentioned that the, the park, I think covers a couple acres, right? 3.5 acres of property. So it's big, but it had to be big once again, because we live the life of someone in a wheelchair and how confining most public parks are. So we built it double wide. Everything is double the length of what was required so that you move around with ease, but also at the same point, when you have 150, 200 people here on a daily basis, you wouldn't even know it, Katie, because it's just so spread out and so wide open for everyone to maneuver and play and have fun. You talked about some of the different sections and there's a lot of different sections of the park, which is really awesome. But what are some of the like accessibility elements of it? You had spoken to a little bit, but are there anything like specific within each section that make it more accessible for different abilities and different people. We built it thinking that if you were in a wheelchair, which would be the worst case scenario, 
or if you were an amputee and you were limited in regards to your movement and your ability, well, how are we going to build it so that you wouldn't have to be worried and that a person like a high school student who's a volunteer would be able to move you around and not have to be taught how to deal with a person in a wheelchair. They would just be easily able to just help and assist. So we built, you know, once again, everything on the same level. The play entrance is double wide. We have a mound. <laughs> it's one of a kind. It's a trampoline on the top of this mound. It has two separate entrances to get to, unlike restaurants and other places where it's one way in, one way out for a person with a wheelchair. We have two ways in and two ways out. That trampoline allows a person in a wheelchair along with his friends to jump on a trampoline. We have a zip line where it's positioned so that a volunteer can help someone out of their wheelchair and be able to sit on the chair swing and zip line with someone who's typical. All of our swings are built to a height where you can easily transfer from wheelchair to seat. We have a, a music PlayStation. Same thing. It's built so the equipment is reachable for somebody in a wheelchair, but built in a way so that someone who's typical and standing on the other side of it can look to, at them face to face. So everything we built here, the, the golf course, the quiet corner, the baseball field, the thrive stations are built specifically for a PT to sit on one side and the person in a wheelchair or some kind of you know, device can sit on the other side and be looking at each other face to face. We took our time on this one because we knew how important it was for no one to have to come here and say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. I mean, our major thing was we had three things that we learned from the special needs community. Number one, bathrooms. Number one issue. About three and a half years ago, I took Gavin to a Yankee game. I had to change him on the floor because he's four foot seven, 100 pounds. And that little Kona thing, you know, wasn't going to do it. So we have in both our bathrooms, two electronic changing tables. They adjust in height. They hold up to 500 pounds and someone who's seven feet tall. They're in both bathrooms. So if a person has an issue, the caretaker can bring them into the bathroom, close the bathroom and treat them with the respect that they deserve. But more importantly, when everything's done, they can go back out. They do not have to leave. Issue number two, parents are caretakers with those who deal with autism. That's where we built the autistic quiet corner. It's situated in the back right-hand corner of the complex. It's double soft rubber surface. It's got sounding walls on two sides with rock that's hollow. You go into this quiet corner, you're looking out to trees and you hear nothing. I've seen it in use, it's amazing. So there's another reason. People who have autism, when there's an issue, what happens mostly? They have to leave. Well, we've created a place where they can resolve their issue and now re-enter back into what they were doing prior to the prior to issue. That was issue number two. And then the last issue was people with electronic wheelchairs. They would go to a place, oh my gosh, my battery's running low. We have to leave. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Our pavilion has four charging stations. So you find your battery low, plug yourself in, hang out for a little bit, and then go back out. The idea was for people not to leave, to feel like almost, Katie, that they were at home. And now they have a huge complex in their backyard. And that's the idea of the Field of Dreams was people think sports and it's really, the, it's really for the caretakers. See, that's the thing. It's a dream for the caretakers because they now know they don't have to be stared at. They have everything that they need here. They can take a seat and have volunteers help with their loved ones. So that's where the dream really is about. It's really not about, you know, obviously about the movie, about the game of baseball. So it sounds like there were a lot of really conscious decisions made to benefit everyone who was attending the park. So what has been the reception so far? You opened 
remind me, when did it officially open? So we opened April 30th and that was our grand opening. And we had a couple little minor things that we had to clear up with construction. We opened up about three weeks ago, like really open to the public. I'll be honest with you, I, I underestimated the need for this complex. I thought we'd have maybe a couple hundred people or so. And so right now we're up to well over 1400 registered members for the membership to use the complex. And that's only after three weeks and it's growing. It's constantly, we get new members every single day. We have 25 school boards associated with the complex now that these schools now are going to use the complex throughout the summer and the fall. And then we have 15 organizations that deal with people over the age of 21. And they use the complex, you know, either on a every other day or a weekly or a monthly basis because they have nowhere to go. So it's to say that it's growing, it's huge. I just underestimated the actual need. I the demand for a complex like this is there needs to be more of these, you know, because there's just that many people who need help. Yeah, definitely. If it's only been a couple of weeks and there's that many members already, I can definitely see that there's really a growing need for it. So I was looking on your website and I noticed that in addition to having the different sections of the park, you have different events going on as well, right? There's different types of things that are hosted. I was looking throughout the summer, but throughout the year. So what are those types of events? How does that differ from kind of the inclusion sections that you have? When you go to our website, rwjbhfieldofdreams.com, and you go to community calendar, we already knew like in March, even though we weren't ready yet that we wanted to have an event calendar already set. As soon as we opened up, people had now things to do. We've run about 15, 16 events already. <laughs> and the good thing about these events, it's not just for special needs families. It's open to the entire public. So be it either you know a pirate day or a music drum playground setup, be it either soccer or baseball or whatever, all these events that we do, they're open to the public. And there's your inclusion piece because you're letting families of different ranges and different abilities come together. And you're not only giving the inclusion part for the special needs community, but you're also teaching the typical families what our lives are like. But we're really no different from anyone else. We really are um, just like you. It's just, you know, we have a disability, but we want to have fun and enjoyment and laughter. So those events have been growing because more and more people are now learning about our website and about who we are. So I'm glad that we started that because it really gives people more opportunities to have enjoyment. You had mentioned earlier that there are high school volunteers that actively are in the park. So how does that volunteer program work? Are they from like the local Thomas River high schools or they just have a schedule they come in for volunteering and how does that usually work? Being a high school teacher in Tom's River, we opened up this 100-hour volunteer program for the students in Tom's River School District. But word's getting out <laughs> to other <laughs> school districts, and they want in, which is fine. Once again, I didn't realize the demand, not only for the special needs community, but for kids to really want to volunteer and really help and, you know, be participants in this complex. It's real simple. There's a volunteer form. You apply to be part of our volunteer program. And basically we're open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. with a staff. We're open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. just open. And we have volunteers, you know, two or three for like three to four hour shift blocks. And their job, real simple, a family comes in and you're now attached to that family. You go wherever that family goes, 
introduce them to the different pieces and you tell then the caretakers, the mom or dad, or whoever it is, all right, there's benches over there. You sit, I'm gonna push your son. I'm gonna help your daughter. I'm gonna help your brother. And these kids like so embrace it because they realize how lucky they are. And then as they come back, these volunteers, they become even more participants. Then they help the other new volunteers to say, oh, wait, is that a phone I see? Put it away because we're here for one reason, one reason only, which is to help these people have fun. And uh, I think the idea of it is real simple. In 25 or 30 years, there's going to be another crazy high school math teacher <laughs> that wants to build a complex like this in his backyard. And he's going to go out and he's going to start asking for money like I did. And I'm hoping that when he does that, it's going to be an easier transition because these kids now in 20, 25 years are going to be like, oh, don't worry about telling me the story. I actually used to volunteer at a place that you want to build like, and how much do you need? Or how much can I give you? See, I was my biggest problem. I would go out and I had to tell people what I was doing, but also not only what I was building, but actually why was there a need for it? Like it was this, it was just really this educational, you know, program that I was trying to tell people who had the money to help why this was so necessary. And it was, it was difficult because I didn't have anything except for this story about my son and the need that I thought was important in New Jersey. And you can really see how it exemplifies now with how big the need actually is just based off of how it's grown so quickly and how many people are attending and volunteers are there. That's really showcases the need for this type of environment. So what recommendations or advice would you give to other people? who are trying to design parks to make more inclusive, just from your experiences through the design process, through the building process, what are some recommendations that you would have for them? Number one, call me or email me because I made all the mistakes. So <laughs> I expect them all off. So I, I, they need to reach out to me. Once again, our website, rwjbhfieldofdreams.com. And there's a contact. It says contact. That email goes always directly to me and they need to reach out to me. Now, since the grand opening, I think I've had about 13 or 14 different individuals. And out of those 13 or 14, we have three right now that I've been able to talk to, contact them with the company that helps purchase these items that we have here, as well as get them in touch with the engineering firm that helped me build this. And we have three, one in Mercer County, one in upstate New York, and one in Florida that this isn't like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, this is no, we're, we're in the process of let's get going here. And uh, which is great to hear that, you know, people can do it. Listen, if a high school math teacher can raise $3.5 million and build this thing in five years during a two year break with a pandemic, come on, then anyone can build a complex like this. That's really great that there are so many places that have already contacted you and are building these yep. additional spaces around the country. And I hope that more will definitely go in that direction as well. And my last question for you is just, so now that it's built and people are coming and people are joining, what is your overall goal or hope now that it's completed with for Field of Dreams? Well, the overall goal is, is first to raise another $300,000. So the construction guys who I owe this money to won't be banging on my door. <laughs> That's number one. But no, number two is once now that this thing is running and it'll take a year, 
You know what I'm saying, Katie? I mean, some people think that we've been open for a year uh, because of all the things that we offer and how we're structured and how we're built. But it's going to take us a year because of all the programs that we want to offer. You know, we're trying to create an educational and a physical therapy curriculum so that when organizations and school districts come in, it's just not a free-for-all. It's no, this is how we implement the program so that you get a little physical therapy, you learn about healthy living, you also learn about how to work with other people. You also get to work on educational aspects of the items that we have at the complex. We really think that's an important part. We, we think having this being a learning tool for not only the special needs community, but for the typical community, I think it's where we're really headed that school districts need to know that they can come here and it's just not a play date. They're really working on trying to improve these people's lives. So I think our goal is to make this thing a living and breathing entity. And uh, I think we're getting close, but that's our overall goal is to have this thing live and breathe and be an important factor in so many people's lives. Well, that's really great. And I really appreciate you telling us all about it and just how in even just such a short time, it's impacted so many people and how it's growing already. So Christian, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about your work with creating Field of Dreams and your vision and just how the park has been growing and evolving already. Thanks, Katie. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to tell our story and, and get the word out of, of what we are and who we are and you know not make this an obscurity. Our goal is hopefully to make this the norm. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new, gave you a new idea, or showcased a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram, or send us an email at assemblinginclusion at gmail.com. See you next time.